So good evening, friends. Uh, it gives me immense pleasure in welcoming Natwaj Nagratnam to the CXO today's show. Uh, Natwaj is an IBM fellow, the highest honor scientist, engineer, or programmer at IBM can achieve. He's also an IBM distinguished engineer and CTO for cloud security. He oversees the technical architecture for key components of IBM Cloud for financial services and the IBM Confidential Computing Roadmap. He has about 100 patents to his name and has made sustained security contributions across IBM's cloud security and middleware offerings. Now we will be talking to him about some trends and technologies, including quantum safe uh, cryptography and FHE, which is fully homomorphic encryption. And if you're still wondering uh, what confidential computing means, well, Nakwa will tell us uh, uh, something about that too in a few moments. But first, I would like to take this opportunity to congratulate Natraj on being elevated to an IBM fellow. And uh, so congratulations, Natraj. And Thank you, please, Yeah, please enlighten our lead, uh, leaders on what it takes to become a fellow because uh, from my understanding, there are about 325 IBM fellows till date of which 102 are active IBM uh, employees, if I've got the number right. Yeah. Um... Thank you, Leslie, firstly, for the opportunity here and to talk to you. Um, and yeah, it's an honor. Uh, and I'm uh, humbled to be appointment, uh, appointed as IBM fellow. Like you said, I mean, it's a highest technical honor and position one can achieve in IBM. Um, it's a reflection of uh, sustained technical contribution and more importantly, business impact as well. So, and it's uh, appointed by the CEO. Um, so that's, that's how it is. And, um, it's a reflection of what we do, and it's also a reflection of IBM as a technology company and the importance that IBM gives to technical leaders uh, like me. So honored and humbled and uh, glad to talk to you. And you were already an IBM Distinguished Fellow. So, <laughs> so what is that? I mean, is it because you added patents to the portfolio or what exactly? No, no, uh, no, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I happen to have uh, more than 100 patents, um, but this is about uh, impact and business impact. In, in my case, it was a reflection of my sustained contribution to uh, uh, taking IBM uh, security capabilities like off, uh, in the last few years, um, bringing differentia differentiating capabilities like in cloud security, like confidential computing, and more importantly, making the business impact with our customers, helping our customers succeed, because ultimately that's our uh, mantra, right? So from that perspective, working with um, customers around the world, uh, making their journey to cloud to be safe and building uh, technology and offer products to uh, help them achieve that. And over years, I've been uh, before that, uh, driving our identity strategy as part of IBM security business and IBM IBM's identity strategy overall and technology capability. So it's a very string of pearls in the area of security that I had the opportunity um, to make a difference. Um, and it's all, it's about helping customers and in turn innovating, right? Innovating to make the difference. So, so basically it is about, uh, you get rewarded amply for marrying business with technology and helping clients. That's right, that's right, yes. <laughs> So let's talk about one of your major accomplishments, which is like uh, when you're talking about the confidential computing space. Now, I think IBM has been working on confidential computing for over a decade. Now, can you just explain to our audience as to what exactly is confidential computing? What's the kind of progress that has been made over here? And what does it mean for enterprises? 
Excellent. Um, so let me step back a second. I know, uh, I mean, you are really wonderful in making things simple uh, for the audience. So from that perspective, let me try. Um, so in, in the real world, if you, if you think of um, you writing down your bank account information, password somewhere else, leave it somewhere. And uh, if someone steals the paper um, and if you have written it in clear, that's a problem. So that's data at rest. In the computer lang, your storage, you need to be encrypted so that nobody can just come and look at it, look at your files, right? Um, whereas when you send it over a courier, and if someone is able to intercept that and look at the documents, and if the documents are still uh, in the clear, then they get access to it. That is data in transit. So when uh, communication happens in systems over the internet, how do you secure it? So that's so these two problems over the years with encryption has been relatively addressed. Um, at the same time, but what if you're talking to someone within a room and somebody is able to snoop in, right? So when you're processing data, so if you look, think about you know, in the um, computer systems and uh, cloud, uh, if you look at uh, payment services as an example, so your credit card numbers from thousands and millions of users are going in and it's processing the data. At some point in time, computer holds it in memory because it is it has to process the data before it can say, okay, you approve or whatever it is supposed to do. Um, when it's in memory, that's a point of vulnerability. And what if someone can get access to the memory or in the geeky term, we say dump the memory, core dump, right? If you if you dump the memory, what happens? Um, unfortunately, you, you would have gotten it until IBM started solving over a decade ago and the industry started to address uh, with uh, other technologies uh, from other uh, hardware vendors like Intel, AMD, and others. And um, yeah, so over, we, we have done this in our mainframe systems, in our Z. We have held, uh, taken to market, uh, helping our large clients. Um, the other thing is, while the industry definition, like I said, confidential computing is data in use, we are taking a much broader approach. This is about how can you do computing with confidentiality of data Confidential data at rest, where, where the customer wants to have exclusive control of your data. IBM's fundamental strategy policy is your data is yours. That's what we tell our customers. We don't process it like somebody else, others, some of the others do. So from that perspective, we do everything, not only operational assurance, not only we have operational controls and policies, but we have technology to support that. And that's how that has been our mission um, in this regard. So providing customers full control of their data, whether it's at rest, the keys that they can manage that encrypted. I mean, what if you encrypt and leave the keys out somewhere else that someone can access? Um, so the keys you can access and data in use because these technologies then enable blockchain-like capabilities, multi-party analytics, when people need to do analysis and AI on sensitive data, how do they do that? Uh, protecting PII, data privacy is a big issue globally, right? How do you pr protect that? So when you look at spectrum of these around key management, privacy, uh, data protection uh, as a service and all of that together, this is our view of confidential computing, much broader than the industry. And this is where we are leading compared to uh, other vendors out there. How does this translate into uh... Uh, when you're uh, um, sort of interacting with enterprises, especially now enterprises are adopting a hybrid cloud mostly. 
I mean, whether it's an uh, on-premise in many cases where they have to do for, uh, where they want to protect the data, uh, a mixture of uh, the private and um, uh, on-premise kind of cloud. And basically they're also moving into the multi-cloud environment with HCI, uh, the whole hyper-converged infrastructure. So it's kind of, kind of a, uh, for many uh, CIO, CTOs, this, this is kind of a complex, Kind of environment, and then you bring in confidential computing. Uh, so, how does it, you know, mix and match? Because you're talking about data exclusivity. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good one. I mean, it's a journey, right? Uh, in terms of uh, cloud, at the same time, the important part is looking at from use case perspective. So, let me give um, three use cases, if that's okay. Given um, sure. you, you touched on three different things, so I want to. Um, answer it uh, from that aspect. So if you look at, um, let's say enterprise adoption, so there is uh, increasing regulatory requirements that you need to show that you have te technical control of your data. Also, given um, it, uh, the risk that customers see to say, hey, what if the cloud provider can access the data and under subpoena may be able to hand it over to somebody, some government that they may ask for. Uh, when you look at that context, um, customers want to ensure before they move sensitive data, confidential data to the cloud, that they are in control of the data and the encryption keys that handle it. Case in point, uh, we have announced uh, last year um, uh, working with Daimler. When as a European customer and the European regulations and working with a cloud provider, um, they wanted to make sure it happens and they were able to only do it in IBM cloud because of our hyper-protect offerings um, uh, built, uh, powered around confidential computing so that they have full data access and we, we cannot even access their data and they have full control of the keys and we cannot even have access to the keys. Um, second, you talked about hybrid um, uh, on-prem and cloud. That's also a good one. Uh, let's take another example in the financial industry. Um, so fintechs, uh, even, I mean, everybody's trying to innovate and accelerate fast. Fintechs are really uh, out there trying to help uh, financial institutions help. So one of the areas is when you, we have all uh, um, hear every day about cryptocurrencies and, and so on, but the ability to store digital assets, it could be cryptocurrencies, crypto con like smart contracts and all of that. These are really, really good sensitive confidential information ability to store them, what are called hot wallets and code wallets and so on. There are these fintechs called digital asset custody. That's a new set of technology companies that have come up addressing the space. Um, many of them work with us. So for example, Metaco or Ledgermatic. Metaco uh, and others, when you look at it, they're able to serve customers. Some banks are okay when you have the processing and the data in the cloud. And we offer, again, in IBM cloud uh, using HyperProtect services. They also had the need to say, hey, you know what? We need our core banking on-prem and we need to have the digital asset uh, capability on-premise. Can you run it? And then even connect to cloud for, uh, and we are able to do that. We have our hyperprotect services built on Z, Linux one, Z Linux one, um, on-premise as well, right? IBM hyperprotect servers. So they were able to compose capabilities from on-prem to public, and we are seeing those uh, patterns as well. And lastly, you talked about multi-cloud. So um, we are pushing our uh, working with industry vendors and even confidential computing consortium, uh, working with others uh, as part of Red Hat, that's our multi-cloud uh, strategy as a platform. So we work on how Red Hat, OpenShift 
can run on virtual compute environments, independent of whether it's private cloud, public cloud, IBM cloud, Amazon, Azure, GCP, or whoever, right? So from that aspect, uh, the ability for OpenShift to be available and even orchestrated. Recently, we announced um, what we call this year around uh, IBM Cloud Satellite. Imagine you have single control plane, you have your applications in different locations, satellite locations. Uh, so it's a distributed cloud paradigm um, that's catching on because not only in uh, data centers, it could be at the edge. So when you look at that spectrum, building on capabilities, building up into our platform all the way from OpenShift and containers, as well as virtual servers, we are now able to spread this capability and make this possible in a multiple multi-cloud. In a multi-cloud environment, there are, I, as we understand, there are multiple cloud service vendors. Uh, who takes ownership of this uh, cloud? I mean, how does it work out? Um, when you say ownership, you're talking about ownership of the data, ownership of the Yeah, I mean, so there are so, such complex topics. I mean, I mean, within that also, whether it's ownership of data, whether it's ownership of the company. So that's exactly. interesting. If, yeah. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, when you look at it, ultimately, the, the customer, like let's say a financial institution, like a bank, they are responsible and accountable for handling data. Right. Mm -hmm. Then there are policies and regulations like GDPR that says what a data handler should do, data processor should do, and so on and so forth. When you look at that, then there's ownership on the accountability, but then there's a shared responsibility model. Sure. Right. So uh, running the systems either at the infrastructure till the hypervisor level or making controls and uh, availability into platform services like database service and so on and so forth. The kind of responsibility varies between a cloud provider and a customer. What we are doing is understanding that complex problem. One of the key things in the industry and standardization is around controls. What are security controls? How do you do identity and access management? How do you do data protection? How do you do network? When you look at it, what we have done with IBM Cloud for financial services is to define controls framework that is industry specific and prescriptive. I mean, we work on NIST standards and like CIS benchmarks and so on, which are best practices, that's a baseline. But we are going up and beyond that, working with the banks for financial services industry. We have launched Telco Cloud. Similarly, you can imagine other industry clouds that we will help and work on because the industry specific requirements, the risk and the regulations are different. And in that context, to your point, when you then look at that controls framework and the way we are approaching it, then it will make it clear as to who's responsible more than own, but who's responsible for which part of it, how do they do it? And for those that we are responsible for IBM, we provide the, the highest level of protection as well as the deep level of visibility. Uh, that transparency is what uh, is important from a customer viewpoint because it's not about trusting. I mean, IBM as a trusted band, we are a trusted partner, but in this new world, you need to have a zero trust model. So from that perspective, we make it happen for the customer that they know from technical uh, perspective that they are in control and get with deep visibility. So in this context, how does the quantum safe crypto, uh, cryptography technology fit in? I mean, obviously it's all related out here. Yeah, um, so, 
many of like confidential compute, cloud computing, cloud security, what we do is real today and we that can be applied. And when you look at quantum, if you step back a second and look at the power of quantum, it's amazing. It's a transformational change that's happening in the industry and IBM has been leading in this space. At the same time, with any good technology comes a possibility of exploitation for the bad purposes. Um, in that area, if you think of the power of the quantum computer, whatever cryptography we have, what if you can run it in quantum uh, systems and suddenly uh, you're able to crack that that would have taken years to do. And if you're able to do it in days, now it's a problem, right? So that's a risk, especially when it comes to public key cryptography. It's a high risk, like public key, private key, those set of algorithms all vulnerable five, 10 years down the road when quantum is really catching up. And, uh, uh, and I, that, that was what I was about to ask. I mean, basically you're future proofing. Uh, yeah, definitely future proofing. Uh, Correct. And because that, I don't think uh, quantums are stable enough today, even in an IBM uh, computer. I think the qubits are still not stable enough. Uh, I mean, they're available. The challenges. Well, in, there are qubits already available, and then the scale of qubits that we are working on. Scale. So whatever is available is stable. People are building, but it's about wider availability, different use cases that can be built. So it's about maturity of the industry to adopt quantum. That is definitely up uh, going, right? Now I explained the problem, but then how do you solve it? And you need deep thinking mathematicians and cryptographers to do it. And that, I mean, as IBM, we have the, some of the best cryptographers in the world as part of a research lab. So um, they have been working with the industry peers on uh, cryptography algorithms and some of uh, the algorithms that we have submitted into standardization in NIST, have made it into the finals. So that has been going on for the last two years of like selecting algorithms as industry peer review and so on. So that's a good thing. So we have been leading that uh, from that perspective. And then what we did was, you know what? These algorithms are good. We published even working with open source, applying that to cloud. We did that end of last year to say, if you are able, to, if you want to protect your, let's say, communication to your cloud native applications in front of Kubernetes, you can then say, use the SSL, the data in transit I discussed earlier, that is built on the public key cryptography. So use that, protect that with quantum safe cryptography algorithm. So we did that and we supported in terms of whether it's application transactions or key management transactions for those set of use cases, we have already enabled it. So not only we lead the cryptography, we have done contributing code to open source, then taking taking it and making it real in IBM Cloud so that we future-proof, to your point, to prepare for the future threats. And of course, now you have another technology term, the FHE, or the fully homomorphic encryption. Uh, how does, so you have so many encryption kind of technologies. <laughs> how, how do you tie them? How do you explain it to the uh, CIO, CTO? Okay, th these are not simply buzzwords, but these are like uh, tying it into the whole idea of confidential computing and security and privacy. Yeah. Um, yeah, th it's not just about technology, to your point, Ilga, but it's about value. It's about use cases. So, um, in, in, in the progression of technology or progression of use cases, protecting data assets at rest with exclusive control of keys. Hey, for that problem, we have keep your own key, the only cloud provider to provide it built on the industry's highest level of security 
hardware security module FIPS 140-2 level 4 HSM. Then you say, okay, you've done that and we are the only provider to do it. Now let's go beyond that. In transit, I talked about like quantum safe cryptography and so on, or even keeping your private keys. Then you say, okay, now in use, when you do processing, the conferential computing, like I explained, that's an interesting uh, use case, Leslie, in sub-Saharan Africa, it, it, uh, where um, for energy utilities, not every, they, they don't have electricity all the time. So for one hour, if they have to charge their mobile, they need to charge it. So a utility provider want to make sure the micropayments and the contracts actually happen within secure environment. So we have enabled that with conferential computing. So that's data in use. Then you say, okay, you're, you're future proofing it and all of it, but what about AI? What about analytics? Um, how do you do analytics on encrypted data? That's kind of the nirvana for cryptographers, right? So um, you, from that aspect, fully homomorphic encryption uh, paves the way as a technology and uh, an approach so that when you build applications, application analytics application and AI can work on clear text data today. But working when it is sensitive data, there are two pronged approaches. With HFHE, you can work with encrypted data. There's a certain set of operations you can do that is being enabled. Um, many P IBM has been leading and many have been working on it. Um, it's still a work in progress. Uh, there are customers we work with and uh, for certain set of applications in their financial risk modeling and others, we are, we are, they are using FHE working with IBM, IBM Security and our research uh, teams So on IBM Cloud. So that is happening. So they're kind of paving the way, but given the performance uh, requirements to do these processing at a high speed uh, and in a performant manner, um, that's going to take a while. The meantime, yeah, that's what I was about to ask you because it will require vast amounts of processing power and time. Correct, correct. I mean, so that is there is a lot of work and focus in general in the industry and of course in IBM as well to improve that performance and be more relevant um, getting to real time. I would say you can do offline analytics that you can gain. So those use cases can be done today. But if you want to go real, real time, near real time, right, uh, where you want to get it within a day with a lot of data, etc., uh, we are further off there. At the same time, interestingly, you asked about FHE. Fully homomorphic encryption was conceptualized in a context where trust nobody. Don't trust the system because nothing can be trusted. Therefore, how do you do processing of encrypted data? But if you change the question, because now the conferential computing technologies are available and say, know what? When you process the data within a secure enclave, those are called enclaves in the conference computing paradigm. So within this enclave, when you do analytics, then it's secured because of the hardware level, trusted execution environment. In that context, if you say, make that assumption, can you do really multi-party analytics and secure analytics, taking advantage of it, even without FHE? Um, that area is coming up and we have been helping customers one example that uh, may also be interest to you and uh, your and the audiences. If you think of retail industry, um, there are organized crime theft happening in retail stores. When every retail chain, they are looking at their data, figuring out what is happening with crime and so on. They get some information, but they realize if they share information with other retailers, maybe they can do better. So they want to share information to go to kind of detect 
and investigate. At the same time, of course, they cannot share their sensitive data. So uh, secure multi-party analytics is a way where imagine this uh, analytics application is processing data from multiple retailers. They send their data encrypted with their own key. It runs within an enclave, does the processing, and the respective results are sent to them. Therefore, the data never leaves the enclave. It never gets sent from one retailer to the other retailer, et cetera, but only the findings. So it benefits the industry together. And we are seeing this use case in financial, in uh, distribution sector, et cetera. So between FHE and uh, in a confidential computing enabled uh, multi-party uh, analytics and compute, um, there's promise out there. It's definitely happening this year more and more uh, to see and come. Basically, the way I understand it, you're consistently raising the bar as far as security is kind of trying. I mean, we always uh, typically say that uh, cyber criminals are always a step ahead. Uh, they're trying to prove us, you know, trying to prove them wrong and say, okay, fine, let's also think ahead. Exactly, exactly, absolutely, right? I mean, we, the best defense is to be take the offensive, right? So how do you do that and how do you keep up and prepare for the future threats? In this, uh, uh, what other kind of uh, trends are you seeing? I mean, of course, we are talking a lot about AI ML being used uh, along with the cloud, which I guess uh, a lot of the stuff on data analytics and all this is harnessing the power of uh, machine learning, etc. Uh, so, how uh, say uh, two three years from now, you have already uh, uh, by speaking about quantum cryptography and FHE, you have already given us a kind of a roadmap into where uh, cloud security will be moving. Uh, any other related trends that you are seeing in the industry that uh, uh, CXOs might want to uh, space off? Absolutely. So I, I would say um, it's, it's a two-sided uh, coin. Well, on one side, you need to have protection. So we talk, everything that we talked till now is about protection. And in the cloud native, in the cloud security in the world, uh, it has to be data centric with zero trust. That's what we discussed predominantly. The other side is things will happen. Bad things will happen. So how do you detect and respond continuously? So continuous detection and response, um, when you look at um, some of the data out there, 90 to 95% of the threats and vulnerability uh, uh, breaches in the next few years is going to be because of misconfigurations. It's not, it's not, I mean, cloud providers are secure. We provide the secure platform, but the usage of it, we can provide the best environment possible, but what if you leave the windows open and right? So ability for customers to make sure that it's prescriptive, configure, configured to meet those security controls is important and assessing them. So what we have done with IBM Cloud, IBM Cloud Security and Compliance Center, we provide um, a continuous monitoring of your security posture. If you open up your bucket, we will let you know. You And uh, if you uh, don't encrypt with something, we'll let you know. But that's all, in, even in that case, when it's in runtime and somebody changed something, uh, change in posture, drift in security postures as it affects compliance um, is a key part of that capability. And customers want to see it because they can take action, remediation, and so on that we support. Another thing is, even before you do that, 
there are ways you can start to do that in much more prescriptive manner before things get sent into cloud. Like when you deploy workloads, our philosophy is it should be secured by default. For that to happen, shifting left, as we call it, not only at runtime, but deploy to build to strategy, right? From that perspective, DevSecOps, right? DevOps is the uh, process and then security has to be integral part of the process or so DevSecOps. We have been working with research and we have capabilities in IBM Cloud like uh, Risk Analyzer. It analyzes risk of your code, not only scans the code for vulnerabilities and open source working with partners, but also the ability to look at deployment configuration. Is, is it configured right for your network? Is it configured right for your data protection with encryption? Is it exposed only on the right uh, private endpoints, like not in the public internet? So you can check the configuration to make sure, you know what, this is a golden image, golden configuration, it's very good to go, therefore you deploy it. That's day one as you push it. But in day two, there may be changes or new vulnerabilities, then you need to continuously monitor. So this closed loop need to happen. So in short, the, the, the question you asked in addition to the data protection, confidential computing, the other important area is continuous detection and response, and they need to be at the tip of it all the way through the development process. And before we conclude, of course, one question that is always uh, that I keep on asking is uh, that typically all these technologies seem to be adopted more by larger companies, the bigger companies, because they can afford these technologies. Uh, is that perception real, really true, or is it that mid-sized companies and SMBs also can uh, have a modular approach and get a better return on investment on these technologies? Absolutely, absolutely they can. These are um, solving hard problems, but it is not uh, exclusive for enterprises. If you look at cloud consumption models, um, and even many, many uh, uh, Customer references that we have, some of them can be ISV vendors like Metacon, Logimatic I talked about, Irene Energy um, uses that, uh, these kind of technologies in that context. Um, and so from that perspective, this is about enabling innovation. Um, even new startups uh, are working on leveraging these things like PrivateKey and others who are part of uh, IBM ecosystem and who are leveraging these technologies are good examples where these are startups where they are looking at this as a differentiation to their business. From that perspective, they in turn may be serving SMB or large customers and enterprises and banks and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, uh, it is meant for, to solve real hard problems. It can be consumed. Uh, by them, it, 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 and uh, people do already do it, uh, and at a price point that they can. It's all about cloud consumption and subscription models. So, Natraj, uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, uh, once again, uh, congratulations on being elevated to the position of IBM Fellow. And I know that you uh, were in India as for about three years or so in the IBM Software Labs. Yes. Any plans to visit India soon? No, I, I, I mean, definitely, I visit India often, uh, except for uh, hopefully the post-COVID era, we can start to travel much more freely. Um, otherwise, yeah, my uh, assignment, uh, you, interesting, you, thanks for bringing that up because I was there, it was one of the best uh, uh, time in my career because I was able to work with in the um, clients in India, 
partners in India, and of course, uh, the excellent uh, uh, technical talent in our IBM India lab. Um, so as a CTO, I was able to work on these technologies, work with people, really know, and this was at the time when the even mobility was catching up. Uh, so seeing how uh, India pioneers in uh, uh, leading innovation in mobile era, for example, we, we leapfrog many times in India uh, in, in uh, adopting technology, now 5G and so on and so forth, right? So the ability to go and take technology, it's fascinating to see that. And application of those technologies in a day-to-day -day life. I mean, the pay, the day-to-day Paytms now, we don't even do transactions and uh, uh, cashless transaction is such a, a common thing in India now uh, when I had to get some chai and so on and so forth. This is just fascinating and phenomenal. And uh, not only I visit, I, I, I keep up with the technology there and the usage is definitely a fascinating um, uh, place to be and a lot of innovation happening there. So once again, Natwash, thank you very much for your time. Uh, stay safe. Thank Wish you all the best. Thank you for the opportunity, Leslie. Glad to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank you.